welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Alina Sotskova is a professional dancer and choreographer with an integrative contemporary approach to her dance practice. Alina began studying at a young age in Crimea, Ukraine. After emigrating to Canada as an adolescent, her connection with dance was interrupted. She returned to dance years later to focus on specifically on studying contemporary dance and ballet. She has choreographed and performed in many contemporary dance works across Canada. She's presented original choreography in collaboration with Victoria Dance Theatre, Dance Victoria, Flux London Dance Festival, Broken Rhythms, Scotiabank Dance Centre and Addo Platform, among others. In her dance practice, she uses movement and an emphasis on pushing her own boundaries of imagination and physicality to explore the psychological and philosophical questions she's interested in. To her artistic endeavours, she also brings an academic philosophical perspective, which she integrates with an embodied perspective of dance movement and the body. Alina holds a PhD in clinical psychology as the founder and artistic co-director of Voirelia, Dance Psychology and Philosophy Hub. Alina creates contemporary dance works, develops dance pedagogy, and curates interdisciplinary arts events. I am joined today by Alina Sotskova, who is the artistic director and founder, or co-artistic director, I should say now, and founder of Waralia Dance Hub. And we will be talking about that um, through the interview. Welcome, Alina. Thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast. And I'm very much looking forward to talking with you. Thanks, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. So there is a lot for us to talk about because you have, you're one of those people who has a dual career (laughs) set up and, but they also are very much intertwined, I think. And I think this will be a lovely opportunity for our listeners to understand a little bit more about how that happens with you. So first of all, let's talk on the Dance Centre podcast about your dance path, your dance career, your dance history, your dance training. Mm -hmm. Very interested in hearing about your beginnings and how you first became interested in choreographing and directing. And then we'll wait. We'll get we'll get to voir earlier a little later down the line. Sounds good. Sure. Yeah, it's been quite a windy path as far as how my interest in dance started. And it's taken me really all over the place in a lot of unexpected and beautiful places. But it started really, really early when I was growing up in Crimea, Ukraine at the time, which was basically just attending dance classes, mostly ballet and some lyrical type classes. There's not really a lot of variety of dance forms and methods available at the time when I was growing up there. Uh, So that was kind of basically it. And culturally, that was also uh, the expectation uh, that as a girl that I would be taking part in those kinds of classes and learning that kind of way of, of moving and dancing. So yeah, that was like the very beginning. And there was it was nothing professional, but it was it was a fairly rigorous program and practice back where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, with my family, immigrated to Canada. I was 13. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't dance for like a good 10 years, maybe a little bit more. I oh. think maybe a little bit more. 
yeah, the dance was kind of farthest from my mind for almost a decade, just trying to adjust to the immigration process and figure out a lot of things and learn a lot of things, just how things work in Canada and the language and figure out, uh, you know, being a teenager, moving to a new country, and then soon after trying to figure out some kind of a work or a career path. Mm. So I miss dancing a lot to the point where it was very hard to even think about dance or to watch any performance or anything like that. There's no no space at all for it with just life things that I was dealing with. And I only came back to it, I think, when I was 24, when I started my uh, Master's of Science degree at University of Victoria, just through a recreational class at YMCA. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was wild to experience how good it felt and how I actually still remembered a lot of things that I learned when I was very young after not practicing at all for, yeah, like a decade, probably a little bit more. And then it was just like something being like a tap being turned on and suddenly all like the interest and the passion and the excitement after missing it for so long, just realizing, I guess, in that moment how important it was. I just wanted to do it so much, as much of it as possible. I wanted, and then from there, it's been kind of a gradual build up, going to as many dance classes as I could. I started doing point when I was 25, I think. Ballet, I discovered contemporary dance for like the first time ever because that was just not something I was exposed to when I was younger. I didn't know what it was. It's very uh, different from the more kind of jazz, lyrical influenced. Um, ideas that were present in classes when I was younger and I was just really enjoying it and soaking it all in and was doing my graduate work at the same time clinical psychology and just doing more and more and more more classes eventually joined like a more like university-based kind of dance company and uh, participate in performances and even then already I was already interested in choreographing first you know very small things um, choreographing a small short solo like on myself right with the help of mentors and teachers yeah and it just uh, you know continued to really grow as a as a passion as an interest especially being part of that small company in Victoria where it felt so supportive and so collaborative it gave me such a like a dream and a vision for how dance could be that I had never that way of being in dance, I have never been exposed to before in my life prior to that. And it created this dream of, yeah, dance being a, you know, a, a real big and staple part of my life and doing it together with others in a very supportive, uh, artistically experimental way. Did you have a name as a uh, company yeah, or as a collective? Um, Victoria Dance Theater. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, kind of like for... Uh, enthusiast, amateurs, uh, university students who were taking the dance classes. So it was. It just started very, very small, and it was a very, it was a very welcoming place. It speaks a lot to your rigorous training. I think in in your childhood that you could put on point shoes at the age of twenty five. <laughs> had you had you done point work before that? Because it it it, no. it implies to me that 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 
the training when you were younger must have been must have really set you up for you know like really good technique and strength and um and like strong ankles at least <laughs> yeah i think strong ankles are definitely strengthening me at the time but yeah i haven't done point before i certainly had very rigorous ballet training but not point but um also, it was, you know, the teachers that I met right away when I started, they were so encouraging and helped so much as to, like, remember how to do things I already knew how to do, but hadn't practiced for a long time, as yeah. well as just forge ahead with totally new stuff, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, point was a fascination and an interest for me for a long time. So to try that and to be encouraged and to be taught how to do it safely and properly and artistically explore what that means was, yeah, it meant a great deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all these new avenues and all these new interests yeah. from dance kind of exploded that I just, yeah, I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, for me, it was a similar thing. Around a similar age, I moved from the north of England to the south to London mm-hmm. um, around 13 and shifted and then again at 18 I discovered contemporary dance maybe Mm -hmm. as we know it today but you know kind of the beginnings of that and that like you kind of expanded my world and my horizons Mm -hmm. and the same thing as the choreographing small pieces on yourself Uh, I mean I was even I was kind of improvising and not realizing I was choreographing or composing I didn't mm-hmm. even, I was choreographing before I knew the word existed. Mm-hmm. So it sounds quite, you know, in some ways kind of a little bit similar in that kind of like compulsion to have mm-hmm. movement and kind of creation in your life in that form. That's great. So mm-hmm. where are we? We got to, oh, and could I ask you, was there any kind of cultural dancing in your, yeah. or was it was it more, much more of a studio-based, um, you know, kind of classical training that you received did you have any kind of cultural folk dancing, social dancing background with a, with your family or a community as well? Yeah, so there was both. Certainly the, the classical ballet was very, uh, that was kind of the main part and the main focus of what I did. This is when I was growing up in Crimea. Uh, but there's also, you know, a very regular commitment to like folk dance, Russian and Ukrainian folk dance. And yeah, that was a big part of just... Uh, I think growing up, you know, that was a kind of a staple for a lot of people around me and myself to do. Yeah, yeah. And the and the sense of and the sense of community, you know, there's a, the the kind of immediate like sense of community, but also within a quite a rigorous and and um, kind of technical practice. I've always noticed that. I think that's uh, extraordinary. Like it's uh, it's quite amazing the energy and the and the rigor and the discipline that is mm. there with the joy they're together, you know, in that kind of practice, I think is amazing. Okay, so we were, so after Victoria Dance Theatre, and and that kind of work, and you've already given the listeners a hint to your clinical psychology um, <laughs> background, could we maybe talk a little bit about the overlap of that um, for you? Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice segue. Sure, yeah, you know, basically, you know, graduate work for me in clinical psych, uh, that's a process that takes a while, I was pursuing my master's of science and a PhD and then a postdoc fellowship immediately after that. So it took quite a few years. And throughout all those years, because I started dancing again at the very beginning of that process, um, you know, my graduate work continued and the dancing just kept ramping up, up, up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that was like a six, seven year long process. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I was, and, you know, ultimately uh, my passion about dance shaped my career choices in psychology because for even before I returned to dance, so for about 10, 11 years, including my, when I was studying my undergraduate degree in psychology and philosophy, I had been really gearing towards uh, working in academia and being a researcher and a clinician. And, and uh, yeah, it was, you know, I was in the process of doing all those interviews and, yeah, considering the professorship opportunities and there's some really exciting ones. And, yeah, that was the year I changed my mind. And, <laughs> I, you know, I realized I, I, you know, would not be able to do both, right? As far as a commitment to a tenure track in clinical psychology, I would not be able to really carve out much time for dance in the way I wanted to. And with dance coming back to it so late, having knowing how much I missed it, it felt like, you know, time is now. Yeah. And I really didn't want to put it off any longer, whereas a more intellectual pursuit of research and academic work felt like it could wait and I could return later uh, because I also loved it quite a lot and was very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But I felt already dance had been put on the back burner for so long, I couldn't wait anymore. So changed my plan drastically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went into private practice instead, still with a lot of passion, interest in teaching and in research and, you know, did a little bit of teaching at different universities, part-time basis, but mostly focusing on private practice and, you know, am still keeping in the back of my mind usually what can be some ways later to re-engage in a more part-time way, not in a way that a full professorship requires, with some kind of psychological research process and that even being sort of like a, a dream as, you know, having Varelli as a platform for dance psychology and philosophy that perhaps in the future it could have some kind of a department or arm that's all about scholarly, scientific, artistic collaboration. Gosh, if only, yeah. I know, right? But, you know, right away I knew, like, one, it had to be sort of one one or the other, right? Yeah, but what's so wonderful is that you do you do have both. And what, as we'll get to with the Borrelia and the hub and all of your in, intentions and visions for it, but also what you are able, what you are doing with it. Mm-hmm. I think there, I, I think, it, you know, in essence, so however long, that is able to uh, keep going and as long as it's evolving and all of these things and, and the way you want it to do you're building content anyway that you could refer to like you say but you could refer to in as as your other career and use you know reflect back on Voirlia as a big part of um anyway I, I I see all of that as as I know you do so let's introduce the listeners a little bit to Voirlia and then maybe come back to um, the balancing of the two careers because I think you've already talked about Voirlia being well you wanted to shift your focus and I think that led to Voirlia in a really interesting way and now Voirlia is I feel like evolving all of the time mm-hmm. uh, and so maybe you could share a little bit about what Voirlia is and what the uh, hub does. Mm-hmm. And the kind of work you've made so far and you're making now. Sure. Yeah. We're, you know, year, just entering, I guess, year six of, Mm. we were founded in 2017. And yeah, you're right. It is constantly changing and evolving as we're still a small and young 
company. So basically the way that things work now is that we're a small nonprofit hub for creation of contemporary dance. That's our focus. And the way that we create uh, a high priority for us is interdisciplinary collaboration. Right? Of course, having these pillars of dance, psychology, and philosophy are really key, really important to our little hub. It says something about you know what we're interested in what we're interested in making dance about, why we're interested in dancing, why it's a hub and not just a solo practice for me, right? Because for some people, that is what they seek and that is what their dream is. And that's great. For me, the big part of the dream is the, the together part, right? Kind of like I experienced in that small company that I started with from like a very, as, as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was about, you know, creating things together. It was about supporting each other. It's about doing things, things as a group, bringing, bringing unexpected perspectives. So that's really what it's about at this point is that bringing things, bringing in people, artists, disciplines, ideas that I'm not used to working with, that my collaborators aren't used to working with. So we usually have some new collaborators at least every year. And, and some collaborators also stay for a while, too, because that part of innovation and unexpected creativity that I can't get from myself is really important to me to work with as part of a group. Mm-hmm. So re- most le- recently, we've been working on, you know, really prioritizing the process of creating dance with a lot of attention to the process itself, with a lot of attention to how we do it. And, and why we do it. You know, in the beginning, there's, I think, especially as a small beginning company, we felt, I often felt more rushed to make something very quick and didn't have um, enough of an opportunity or uh, resources to really take them out of time, I would, I would wish to. And as we're growing and that's changed, um, I'm enjoying that opportunity more to really take the time to, to research things together and things that I'm working on and projects I'm working on with collaborators. And yeah, we have a few exciting plans in the works <laughs> for, <laughs> for new things. There always are. <laughs> There's always mm-hmm. something in the pipeline, some new idea that I'm very excited about. Yeah. And I think that there's something about the, the kind of raison d'etre, the kind of the visioning behind the hub is also to do with healthy practice Mm -hmm. which speaks a little bit maybe to the idea of not rushing process where Mm -hmm. sometimes the deadline or the presentation date takes over any other kind of responsibility or accountability we might have for each other of our our kind of conduct or behavior so I think the the spending time taking time to not only enjoy being together, but find out, discover what it is to be together is part of what your work is, isn't Mm it? I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I've only been in a couple of studios kind of sessions where I've seen the process and I've seen some of your showings and I've um, had the pleasure of being in one of your workshops that you've led. And, And I've got that sense across those that there's a care of each other and mm-hmm. there is a patience with material and with the creative process of each person, as if mm-hmm. there's a sense of it that being not the same for each person in the room at the same time. I, I think that's an important aspect. I feel it's an important aspect of how you work. Yeah. 
and of the hub itself. And I wonder if that somewhat comes from your psychology background and your knowledge and the contexts that you are aware that you are working in because of mm-hmm. the clinical psychology background. Do you see them as crossing over? I mean, it's you're the same person, so it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, say that you can compartmentalize them that far. But yeah. but also there is, you know, do you make a choice to let them flow or do you really do you have to experience it as very different if you wouldn't mind kind of entertaining me on answering that yeah yeah, I'm happy to chat about it yeah both the professional psychological training and ideas is important and also the personal experiences that I've had in dance Mm. and in, in psychology too right it is very important to me that any time where I am facilitating a dance experience for others or a creation experience for others or being part of sharing a, a performance uh, as you as you were mentioning just now taking care of how you know we do it and how I do it and, and why it's extremely important so everything around that is usually very intentional you know I just going back to that experience that inspired me to make dance more of a part of my life in the first place as an adult as a young adult you know, that's the kind of experience I hope to give to others, an experience that encourages and invites and inspires and not something that leaves people feeling worse than when they came in. <laughs> so I feel like there's, there's enough stressful things in life and I don't want to facilitate things that add to people's stress and problems. I want to mm-hmm. spend time together connecting, creating, enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as far as the psychology's involvement in that in my mind, uh, I certainly, as part of my training and as part of my work, you know, I work with groups, I work with individuals, I work in a lot of different levels. Uh, there's a lot of skills that comes about how to help set up a place that is really collaborative and creative and really is supportive and encourages and opens up mm-hmm. for people to choose what they want to open up so that it's not forceful either. And so those skills I use very intentionally and all the time. Mm-hmm. And they help me a lot. Mm-hmm. And in a way, they create the kind of space for myself that I want. Right. Yeah, um, I was just I was going to ask that next um, in terms of mm-hmm. for you, there's, um, you know, please just keep going with what you were going to say. But there, there's something around that idea that while it's setting up for others and this facilitation of others, there is also taking care of you in that environment and meeting your needs in that environment. So, um, mm-hmm. uh as a creative person, um, do you also dance a lot inside the group? Do you find you mm-hmm. have, give yourself room to move as well? Yeah, it's it certainly started out that way mm. with Aurelia and then just even coming to a point where I really decided to not just be you know, a dedicated hobbyist and dance, but I wanted to be a professional, like crossing that line. It was because I was dancing, right? Very actively, a lot. A lot, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> and also, yeah, just like absorbing all these different um, new dance ideas and methods and approaches. And definitely in the beginning, I was uh, really involved in being in work myself, not just me in it, but participating in it, some solo work, some group work and dancing in it. Last uh, two years, it hasn't been as possible, unfortunately, due to some injuries mm. and circumstances. So I've continued all uh, with my Varelia journey but focusing more on choreographing and directing 
and trying to see what I can do, uh, physically speaking, to to return to dance more. But the physical experience is always very important. So usually, even if I'm not in sort of a performance mode for a few months or even a, a year, as as can happen sometimes to dance artists, I still need to find ways to move in our rehearsals and during teaching and during work is there needs to be at least some way that the movement goes through for me to to understand what are the points of interest and focus and there's usually lots of ways to do that I don't need to be performing myself usually to find find ways and that's the beautiful part about a lot of the contemporary dance ideas I enjoy so much they leave a lot of room for how to dance, whether you're actively performing, choreographing, artistic directing, all of the above, or just some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sense of embodied practice and understanding, being able to feel like you can bring your whole body into something with the wisdom of the different parts of the body into mm-hmm. into events or into the dialogue, into the conversation, I think is yeah, one thing that I, I've realized when I, it's almost like I don't know which one comes first, whether I miss it first mm. or something happens to me where I realize that I am not in the room in the same way that I enjoy being. And then I realize it's because I've lost touch mm-hmm. with a certain aspect of my physicality. And then when I start to get it back, I realize how much I've missed it or whether mm-hmm. I have that realization that says, I miss this feeling and I go out to get it. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. something, it's almost like an instantaneous kind of like state that happens in my body. It's like the that pause space between an inhale and an exhale where mm-hmm. it just kind of allows for the shift to happen. And I just go like, aha, I can just see the other side or feel the other experience, the with and the without kind of almost mm-hmm. that happens to me sometimes. Can we talk a little bit about, you bring literature, you've mentioned interdisciplinary mm-hmm. stimulus, maybe your sources are having an interdisciplinary interest, but you do genuinely bring in literature. Mm-hmm. You Your works tend to have concepts that are around quite uh, themes, but they're also, they're kind of, they might be l- like literary themes, but not always. Mm-hmm. You're kind of inhabiting worlds. I think, mm-hmm. in, in how you set things up. Would you like to talk a little bit about that interest in bringing literature or literary themes or huge universal themes into the studio? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm like a very much a collaging person, <laughs> you know? Even yeah. before I did all of this stuff and be, while I was not dancing for a long time, I always loved collaging in mm-hmm. one way or another, whether we're speaking literally or, you know, metaphorically just bringing different things together and creating something new out of parts that maybe wouldn't wouldn't normally go together creating new colors and new pairings and new qualities and shapes so literature is like that reading is like that certainly reading and literature for me has been a really strong focus and interest from when i was like very very young from when i was like 4 and has remained accessible even when dance wasn't and so it's, I'm always thinking in that way. I'm always thinking about words, uh, a lot of the time poetry, actually. So not just prose. Mm. Prose is really important, too, in certain books. Um, I, I find a lot of inspiration from poetry, from books, from reading it, from writing. 
that's been a really consistent way through words of engaging with the world and understanding the world. And, you know, you could say that uh, psychology basically, you know, without, without words, it really wouldn't be the same discipline at all, right? That's so important for making sense of experience and making sense of the world. And literature is such a beautiful way of doing that, you know, holding up a mirror to a whole different world or even the opposite, you know, a story about a whole different country, time, history, and then suddenly you see yourself reflected in it. And you're like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> sometimes a poem can do that. You know, 10 words can do that, which I think is is amazing. Um, so it's usually a big part of my creative process, processes, dance processes, often has started by finding a book or a poem uh, or usually writing as part of the process as well for me creatively. Um, and even part of performance, usually there's, something text-based or word-based that is involved and that sometimes it's more of a discussion after or sometimes that's poetry that's incorporated sometimes it's concepts or ideas that me or the dancers i'm working with are holding in mind that we're working within the background and it's helping us Mm -hmm. right again Mm -hmm. creating images with words so yeah i with literature as with other disciplines with like visual art and photography and, and dance like it's all one to me kind of thing and they all inform one one another, and they, for me, make the experience uh, very full and very rich. And if I'm sort of out of inspiration on the movement and choreography front, then I can always turn to literature, poetry, visuals, photography, painting. There's other things, and vice versa. Yeah. So do you find that you might come up with something through the body in the studio that then leads you back to literature does it go does it does it move that way for you too for sure yeah for sure sometimes uh the movement is kind of is the first idea it's a movement idea that comes out and then that generates a story or it generates a concept a verbal concept or a poem and then from that poem that generates a visual image and that that informs the further kind of creation process of the dance so yeah it's very inter intergenerative yeah do you ever does that inform the language the literal verbal language that you speak in the studio because I'm always fascinated by codes that come out in a process that the like the kind of I I call it kind of the languaging and just Mm -hmm. for convenience really that emerges in a process that becomes the kind of not necessarily secret code it's not meant to be secret, but mm-hmm. it becomes a kind of inner vocabulary that the group is like a shorthand for the group mm-hmm. to be able to kind of reference something that happened in a previous rehearsal or in a, you know, some, or an idea that surfaced and maybe it's connected to its origins in mm-hmm. the room and it might have moved quite far away, but the words help people understand which part of the process you're referring to, that kind of thing. Does that happen a lot with you or... For sure, because usually we're also often working also on very like abstract concepts and we need ways yeah. to also make them like real and concrete and the movement, the dance, the moving images, the dance artists are creating. Yeah, and it's, you know, the movement itself can be very abstract and the concepts itself, like the Renaissance concept that I've been working with for the last few years, that can be very kind of abstract and vague. So we need a lot of things also to ground it and then you know, it's to the point sometimes it's really funny. We create our own little postmodern Renaissance poses and name them funny things like, 
kneeling goose, which I think was <laughs> just something that somebody called one of the Lita paintings with the swan, but someone called yeah. it a goose. So now it's the kneeling goose and it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to forget that. <laughs> no. And every time they perform it, every time somebody performs it, that's what the, you know, that this, that the two things really help, right? The intention yeah. of the, like how you hold the body in that pose every single time you do it with that name. Yeah. Yeah, and words can also add a lot of fun and enjoyment and silliness, right? Because, you know, some of the dance work physically and psychologically is really hard, really demanding. But um, it's always nice to bring some humor and be like, well, you know, with the kneeling goose, it's really the knees. We need to, I think, think about it like this. And let's, you know, <laughs> yeah, how we yeah. just squish the knees together. But let's just be aware of kind of not injuring ourselves. And but it, it's a bit of a weird twisted pose. So, uh, you know, let's channel the feeling of the kneeling goose. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And then this, yeah, that craft of like always being able to find kneeling goose when you go to do it, as opposed to, like you say, like landing in kneeling goose, you know, you kind mm -hmm. of, there's a part of that journey in the performances, like to actually become kneeling goose. Right? And so, yeah, that's, yeah, that makes that, that whole process really fun. So I'm interested in how you balance, well, two things. Let's go to the time management part a little bit because we're talking about process and things and how you balance the two careers a little bit independently, like you personally. And then we'll, maybe we'll come back to voir earlier and talk a little more about who the dancers are, how you choose them, how that whole process of voir earlier works. But first, let's come back to you, Alina, and your time management amazing mm -hmm. skills. They must be amazing skills right now. Is it is it like a night and day situation? Do you find yourself, is that how you have to manage the two careers? How does it work for you? There has to be a mind shift in terms of the kind of work, the position you find yourself in, mm -hmm. in a community. And then as, as a, a psychologist with the, you know, the expertise and the, there's a little bit of a different relationship, I think, to the people that you are engaging with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. across those two different careers a little bit. And so that that's a shift, which you probably find very easy and might be almost impossible for you to articulate right now. There's that part. And then there's being able to fit in both careers mm -hmm. uh, in the way that you, with your dedicate yourself to both careers that requires quite a bit of balance, I would think and um, preparation on your part and mindset to be in one and then be in the other. I'm thinking maybe in this instance, like, uh, you know, obviously I have good time management skills is one answer, but the but you're in a position, I think, to also talk about how you found a way to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that can be, I think that can be really insightful. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's because you want to do both, that's a huge part. The will to want to do both, the passion you have for both is, I would say, very important. But there has to be motivation and discipline. And how do you fit it all in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Complex. Good, complex questions. I'll see. Let me know if there's part of it I'm not quite covering. Please, please remind me, but I'll do my best. You know, I was not very driven or particularly skilled in time management or motivated or passionate about anything for most of my early life. Mm -hmm. It took a long time to experience uh, 
environments and people and circumstances that actually inspired me and motivated me to do anything at all. You know, when I was in grade 10, I thought I was going to drop out of high school. I didn't even think about going to university. It wasn't it wasn't a seamless transition. Mm. <laughs> Let's say that. And then, yeah, even just what it took, you know, to, of course, the commitment to graduate school and that took a lot. And while I found a way to dance, I, you know, while I was going to graduate school, it, for me, would not have been possible to do what I'm doing now with Varelia and go to school because that was a big commitment. Or, you know, I wish I had taken the opportunities to dance more when I initially moved to Canada after, but it's, again, wasn't possible. So I spent so long, I have so many very vivid memories of not having things I really want, not or not wanting them, but just not being able to do it and not feeling particularly inspired and motivated, but just working hard to just kind of get along and get through. The drive comes from that. I just can't do that anymore. I just can't do that anymore. And both careers are very, very important. And this is where that drive helps to use the time management skills I learned. You know, but if it wasn't so important, if it didn't feel so urgent, if I didn't feel like I had missed out on so much, I wouldn't be doing it, perhaps. Or perhaps I'd be doing it in a different way. The time management is the easier answer for sure, because that was, you know, graduate school was very helpful to learn how to time manage a lot of very different commitments with clinical work, research, classes, work-life balance. So, you know, that was a big time management learning experience. And then working in the arts as as well, just by just starting and working in it and learning how things work and how, of course, things are different as far as, you know, my role and uh, how timelines work and all of that, and also learning how to, yeah, just hard to work with different industry, different discipline altogether, just through experience and practice. But the thing that helps me the most is, you know, the drive that I have, the importance of these things, and reminding myself why they're important. And then, yeah, being quite uh, strict with the efficiency of my time, uh-huh. and finding usually continuing to find ways to optimize how I use my time and what is most important and constantly making decisions about priorities, right? So and I'm lucky enough to work with in both sides of the dance and the psychology community, uh, you know, with people and with organizations who are very, who understand these two very important commitments that I have and who are able to support and help because I usually have to, you know, sometimes really it gets really busy and other times my psychology work gets really busy and I have to kind of stagger them sometimes. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful to work with people who understand that uh, so that we have a good working relationship together. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I'm thinking as well, because for, for me a lot of the time juggling a lot of things, there's definitely a sense of context and the environment itself supporting that mm-hmm. shift it, it um, makes the shift a lot quicker and also um, and and supports the work so if I feel like mm-hmm. I'm walking into an environment or I'm shifting from one environment that felt supportive to another that feels supportive it's a lot easier mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to make the shift it just literally feels like a slide to the next you know the, the next place but I am very interested in the way you talk about your younger self. It surprises me 
because I haven't known you for very long, but in the time that I've known you, I see you as one of the most ambitious and driven people I've met. And so it surprises me to hear that you didn't have that when you were younger. And I just wonder, was that who you were or was it circumstance? Like when you were younger, was it a personality or was it, was it your environment? Yeah, I don't think it was so much personality. I think it was about availability of experiences for me personally, of course, right? Um, other people I can't speak for. Mm. You know, because things changed uh, very quickly when certain right environments came along. Yeah. And I remember things changing very quickly from grade, between grade 10 and grade 11, whereas grade 10 was kind of lost in a in a big school and not particularly had any teachers who seemed to, sorry, care or, or be interested in um, students' individual kind of progress. They had big classes, big school, and lots to deal with. And a lot of people who were also very, like, well-to-do in that school, and they had, a, you know, fairly steady lives and didn't really need a lot of attention. I was kind of still trying to learn English properly and trying to figure out my culture shock and how to, like, what, this country is sort of like about and how to live in it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I actually switched to a different school that was a more a school in a in Toronto that was more considered an inner city school and was considered to have actually more like socioeconomic challenges that the students would be dealing with. But I went to that school because my friend went to that school. Hmm. And the teachers there, to be honest, seemed to care a lot more. Yeah. And I had two particular wonderful teachers, like, who changed my life completely. Wow. And, um, yeah, they pointed out strengths I didn't know I had. Uh, they were encouraging and kind in a way that I had not experienced before. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, they just kind of opened up a whole possibility of life that just was, was closed, and, and friends as well in that school, new friends I made who were from all kinds of different, very different cultures and backgrounds than I. And I just learned so much from them. And they were, we were so different. We came from such different places, but they were just so kind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, that, that environment was quite something. Yeah, I'm so happy true. you found that. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry because it feels it, it feels very much like you say that that's inspired you, uh, you know, for how to be and how to and what to have in your life, you know, and what to share with others. Yeah, and there's been yeah. lots of people since as well, but yeah. you know, I just remember that as kind of a turning point, a, a mm -hmm. big big change and a turning point. Mm -hmm. And after that, everything changed. And I don't think I would be here having my career in psychology or in dance if that pivotal experience hadn't happened. I don't think I would have had any confidence to try these things that were just seemed way too ambitious for me at the time. Right. And careers, right? Pursue careers as opposed to have a job or as opposed to, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, do something others were doing around you um when did you come to vancouver 2016 2016 okay. moved to vancouver yeah and did you move for the clinical psychology side of things uh did you move here for that reason or did you just move no, were you just drawn no, here not really many of us 
Yeah, I lived in Victoria uh, for mm. seven years. That's where I did my uh, graduate yeah. studies. And then for my residency and postdoctoral fellowship, I was back in Ontario in London for just under right. two years. Right. I really missed the West Coast. Um, I just wanted to come back to the West Coast. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was all part of considerations where I want to work and live. And there's options, you know, in the island and in Vancouver and in the States on the Pacific Northwest. So I know I wanted to be somewhere here. Um, Psychology-wise, there's a lot of different opportunities. There's a lot of different places I could work, a lot of options mm-hmm. that were really fun and exciting. It was more about deciding where also I could, um, where I could have a some kind of thriving connection to dance. Mm-hmm. And certainly Vancouver offered a lot. Yes. And I probably chose it more for dance because there's lots of other wonderful, you know, towns and cities on the West Coast where I could live and do my psychology work. But then they don't have as much going on in the dance department. Mm-hmm. Could yeah. do. And yeah. Yeah, I'm really happy with that choice. You know, living in Vancouver isn't easy, but, <laughs> but I don't regret it. That's for sure. No, yeah, that's amazing. That's wonderful. You're really making that work. So let's come back a little bit to um, Boralia and the people you work with. Maybe how you choose them. Do they choose you? Do you choose them? Like, how does how does this? It feels like there's an ebb and flow, and like you've already implied, it changes. Mm-hmm. But what would you say so far has been? You know, where's the choosing of artists coming from, and who are you working with now? Yeah, I think usually it comes from, especially for people who are enduring part of Varelia, Jennifer Aoki, Varelia's artistic core director, right? Our board members, Margarita Masira, Rachel Prince, people who are also very active artists and working in the dance and artistic community. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of enduring relationships usually come from shared values and, and shared vision and passion. Um, and we usually have gotten to know each other some way through the dance world or community. And then as we, you know, learned about our shared goals and values, and a lot of it is about, you know, these things we're talking about today, uh, like really caring about being creative, feeling very passionate about it, and also really caring about how we do it and finding ways to do it that we lift each other up and Mm -hmm. lift others up and, and encourage each other. Yeah. And then artistically with more, you know, dance artists who might be part of a certain project or certain short-term or long-term project, you know, usually the value uh, alignment is really important. Uh, and then artistic interest alignment, right? We have to share some some interest in the same things, right? I, was, yeah. I went into this deep Renaissance fascination for a while. So, you know, whoever I was working with, it has to be interesting to them somehow. And for some people it's not, which is great. Um, right. So usually, um, yeah, it's about sharing the vision of what we want to explore creatively and how we want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So we have a lot of um, different dance artists that we're working now for a few ongoing projects. And it's it's really lovely to see some dance artists who have returned from previous projects that we had going on last year and some new ones coming in as well. And I'm excited to see what their perspective and experiences will contribute. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. So as a choreographer, do you find that you, and I know it depends on how the project is going and how many ideas you're working with and things, but what would you say the differences between directing and choreographing for you in the context of Ruralia work? Like, Mm -hmm. 
are you of the mindset that choreographing is coming up with the material like being part of that process and directing is is choreographer director like you know kind of hyphenated almost in in this context so you find yourself flowing between the two uh, do you have a clear distinction in your mind and as a hub about mm-hmm. what choreographing is and what directing is yeah you know within Borrelia work I'm always both right in other mm. people's works and projects I've helped with just as a choreographer or perhaps just as a director or co-director yeah. but in Borrelia usually my role has both so director I see as a broader role with more responsibility yeah. um, more responsibility towards the you know artistic vision of Borrelia as a hub and the artists who are part of it and that shared vision we're trying to create and uh, yeah, it's, you know, they're related, they overlap, of course, but I feel also as a director, it's uh, a lot of the way that I think about it is the responsibilities from the very first step till the very last step of the whole process where a choreographer coming in and out of different projects might not have that responsibility. Yeah, I see the director role for me as something I'm responsible from the very beginning till the end yeah. of making sure everything and everyone is mm-hmm. taken care of um, mm-hmm. and, and that includes the vision yeah right? and so sometimes director might mean actually get someone else to help with choreographic things because there are other vision related things or process related things that need my attention and mm-hmm. our priority mm-hmm. i think that's a really good articulation of the and clarification um, just in general, anyway, of the two roles, because regardless of whether you're bringing in a choreographer or bringing in a director, there's a sense of there's a clear delineation um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, kind of priorities. But also there's a there is a sense of a temporal relationship to the material and to the project. You know, they're 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 a little di- they're a little different, and to vision, and to mm-hmm. how many layers of vision there are in any one project, which I think is really beautiful. I think that's really great. So Discover Dance, I'm talking to you now because you are uh, programmed through the Dance Center for Discover Dance at the end of February. I believe it's February. We have a 29th this year. It's your day. (laughs) Uh, And so um, that will be coming up. Um, This podcast will have come out just before that. So um, Listeners, please do come and see Voralia at, um, on the Discover Dance Thursday, February 29th. It's a, I believe it's a noon show. Mm-hmm. And this is where you will see some of the Renaissance work, I believe. Is that is that correct? Mm-hmm. Will this be a work in progress showing? Will this be, um, do you know at this point what you will be presenting at that? Okay. Would you like to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, it's called Deformed Revival, um, and no, it's a finished work. We premiered it um, in 2023 at the Shadbold Center for the Arts, and uh, it's a work for it's a f- full-length work for three dancers uh, exploring this idea of Renaissance as a more of a psychological concept and experience. So we're really exploring this idea of uh, rebirth and revival and reinvention and what that means. You know, and really what I found myself, my interest kept coming back to as uh, when we developed this work and created it together is just this interest in what is it like to try to really change and how difficult that can be and the process of that. 
which in the piece we use the visual metaphor as far as people, what, what they would see on, on stage of sculptures coming to life, sculptures being molded. Um, I had a lot of interest in this idea of being molded and being shaped and then how then, you know, when we take that from the concrete, from the movement and the sculpture-like and painting influences that is very fun for us to play with, how we take that into the psychological realm of how do we try to change and evolve and grow after other people and other events have shaped us, mm -hmm. even in ways we perhaps didn't wish to be shaped or molded. So it's a yeah, it's a ready work. It's a it's a it's a recent work that I'm excited to make um, some fun changes to dramaturgically since the premiere, and we'll be working on that this winter and then presenting. It'll be a bit of a new version of it, but nice. something that we've already spent quite a lot of time researching and and developing. Mm -hmm. Seems quite apt that you would do that, <laughs> rebirthing, <laughs> rebirthing the work itself right in front of our eyes. That's I excellent. know, right? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so great, so great. Um, and then uh, you've already mentioned that you have a few projects that you're working on with Voralia. You and I are um, working on um, something research-ish. You know, we're kind of mm -hmm. in, a, in a group for something else, which is exciting. So I know you have a lot on the go. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about that might be coming up or what you're hoping for for Voralia in the future um, mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there's there's two projects we have planned for development for this year that I think I'm hoping will also become some long-term projects not just a, a one-off development opportunity but that we can really explore and research and create something that's new for us and our group uh, one of them is called future renaissance and it basically picks off where Deformed Revival leaves off, mm -hmm. and as it might sound, it takes us into a future 500 years from now. Uh, we have a lighting designer and five dancers we'll be working with, and it comes from yeah taking this Renaissance concept to reflect a little bit on science fiction and futurism as a way to also reflect on the now, reflect on how the choices we're making now, what kind of future it's building and what really it might mean to be human and to have even the idea of human psychology and emotions and relationships that are all changing very quickly, I feel, in front of my eyes. And I'm like, whoa, oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, so many things are happening so fast. Slow down, really slow exciting down. And, and some are scary. Whoa, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have an opportunity to dive into that with uh, – more yeah cinematic and like literature influences from like dune and blade runner and different sci-fi genres and have a lot of fun with that and yeah. another very different project uh that jen aoki and i plan to be co-directing with a different group of six dancers is called zen punk catastrophe and it's just as messy as it sounds but wonderfully yeah. so yeah, uh awesome. we're more looking at climate crisis and eco psychology and how we respond and enact in relation to this with uh, inspirations from Zen philosophy and punk Ikebana. Mm. So that's, that's what's in the works for the next yeah, little ex while. Excellent. It feels like you have, you know, kind of the, the kind of retro and future and present and um, activation, <laughs> like uh, really happening. So um, yeah, there's so much there. I mean, there's so exciting, so innovative, mm -hmm. and um, and and hub work. 
it really feels like hub work. You know, it kind of mm -hmm. feels like it matches the vision. This is stuff you need to be like working out with people in the studio. This is like a, these are large vision ideas. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Uh, obviously, people can go to your website, um, voirelia.com. Uh, is right. that correct? Yeah. Yes. You can go there for postings. Obviously, the Dance Center will be posting things about the event coming up. Um, so please do come and check out Voirelia and visit the website. And I'm sure there'll be invitations to participate in Alina's workshops and things as well. And uh, yeah, we're very much looking look forward to seeing the show. And, uh, and I, I really look forward to seeing what you um, do next as well, because I think working on those two projects, I don't know if you'll be able to work on them at the same time or how that will go, but I also imagine that they will kind of inform each other as well for Varelia mm -hmm. as a hub. And I think that's um, it's so rich. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much for your time, Alina. Um, Thank you so much, Claire. It's been wonderful to talk to you. And yes, yeah, all of that too. stuff is all those updates and, you know, teaching and classes and auditions. They're always on our website and our Instagram as well. Our Instagram is great for kind of the live pulse and a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff that sometimes doesn't make it to the website. But yeah, they're both great. And just, yeah, I really appreciate our conversation today. Thank you so much for that. It was it was really nice for me to touch on all those topics with you and um thank you for the opportunity to talk about my experience here no yeah. my pleasure i loved hearing all about it so thank you and i'll see you very soon okay bye bye claire thank you so much for listening we would love for you to subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Centre, Twitter at Dance Centre, and Instagram at The Dance Centre BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecentre.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programmes and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time.